Welcome. This is the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast, where our goal is to truly transform the industry and shake up the norm. Each month, we'll be sitting down with CEOs, activists, and other solar experts to see how far the rabbit hole goes. Entrepreneur, thought leader, and clean energy enthusiast, Brett Bushy is our co-host and the CEO of Freedom Forever. With his help, Freedom Forever has become laser-focused on serving others and the planet. This caused the company to make the Inc. 500 list of fastest-growing companies two years in a row. With his solar knowledge and extensive broadcast experience at CNN, Fox, and AMC, we'll get a deep look into the world of solar and how we're disrupting its core. Today, we're sitting down with author, energy activist, and Mosaic CEO, Billy Parrish. Billy has been killing it in the renewable energy field ever since he dropped out of Yale and started the Energy Action Coalition. This ended up becoming the largest youth-led environmental justice group that built the youth clean energy and climate movement. After handing off the activist reins, Billy co-founded Mosaic, which is now one of the largest solar lending companies in the nation. And we're so excited for him to share his journey and his wisdom. This is the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast. We have harnessed the power of the sun. What matters now is what we do with it. This is Solar Disruption Theory. Created by Freedom Forever. Hey everyone, I'm Sean McCready and with me is Freedom Forever CEO, Brett Bushy. We're lucky enough to be joined today by Billy Parrish, the co-founder of Mosaic. Billy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. And Billy, I would just start, like to start off and just say thank you. Um, I always talk about you as almost being the father of the unsecured loan. And um, <laughs> we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the opportunity. Because one of the things that as an investor, I was looking at getting into the industry um, you know, it was frustrating that there was really only one option out there and you created a second option. And I'm sure there's so many barriers that you had to go through and it's only fitting that you're our first guest on this podcast. So thank you so much for doing that for an entire industry. Yeah, that's really kind of you, Brett. And, uh, I, uh, vividly remember our first meeting. I think that was two offices ago, uh, for us. And, you know, we were a tiny company then, and you were just getting off the ground. And uh, I believe I told you at that point that I, I liked your chances. <laughs> so really impressive what, what you've built. And, yeah, glad to have a chance to talk to you. Thank you so much for those kind comments, Billy. Pretty crazy. How, how many folks do you think you were when you, when you came over? years ago there was six i came in in uh -huh. june of 2015 and we had a 3,000 square foot office i was swatting flies or bugs um around and uh i remember walking into the office and go what did i get myself into um <laughs> it's it, it really was crazy and i'm like you know what have i done in my business career to get me to this point that i'm working in this office with six other people <laughs> in lake elsinore california and I just rolled up my sleeves and I had to learn everything about the industry from the sales side of it to the installation part of it. And um, I love it. It's been the most fulfilling four years of my business career for sure. And Billy, you have a really fascinating backstory as well. So from attending and then taking a very long break from Yale, uh, there's Rolling Stone, <laughs> Salon, Sexiest Man Alive, I have to mention that. And then you wrote a book and created a company that tops the solar lending world. Even before that, though, you had a pretty unique experience when you were a junior in high school. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, you know, I just went back for my 20th reunion at a place called the Mountain School, which I went to for uh, one semester during my junior year of high school and changed my life. It, it got me on the path that I'm still on today around environmental protection and uh, solving climate change. Um, it was a one semester boarding school on a farm in Vermont with uh, amazing teachers and an opportunity to read and, and connect to the earth. And, um, you know, I had this realization about where we were as a civilization in terms of the threat that climate change posed and sort of knocked me off center. And then, um, you know, I, I, I next couple of years was exploring how do I engage in this? How do I productively uh, contribute to solving this huge global issue and uh, ended up uh, finding my way into student activism where I spent the next number of years organizing young people to advance clean energy solutions on their campuses and their communities um, uh, and, and across the country. So that's how I spent the first almost 10 years of, of my career. Okay, and that led into the Energy Action Coalition, which is now PowerShift Network, Network, correct? That's right. That's right. And so, you know, I know you, you, you know, were at the foreground of that. What was your role over the, well, it was four years you were with them, correct? Yeah, so I helped found the organization and, and was the coordinator of the coalition. So I was, I was leading the coalition, but really from behind, it was a very consensus-based democratic uh, multiracial coalition of a lot of different organizations. It was a really interesting time because it was right at the beginning of the kind of broader awareness around climate change that was taking place. And all of these young people wanted to engage in it and be part of solving it. But it was so big. And so having other people that they could work with, even other organizations, was critical because I think we all had the sense that it wasn't something that we could do on our own. So we developed strategies together and raised money together. We, we were able to raise a lot more money for this work by telling a larger and stronger story to funders uh, about, you know, what we could build as a movement. And it was pretty powerful. We had these huge uh, power shift conferences in Washington, D.C., where we had 7,000 and 9,000, and then I think almost 13,000 people come to Washington, D.C. for training and lobbying and inspiration, and it was a really fun time. We ran big national campaigns. We got 600 college campuses to commit to zero carbon emissions. That's amazing. So, you know, we did a lot of really powerful work, and now there's this sort of diaspora of Energy Action Coalition leaders, people who were part of PowerShift or the Campus Climate Challenge campaign or the uh, college and university president's climate commitment, all of these different campaigns that we ran. And from a recruitment standpoint, why do you think this was so successful? You know, partly, uh, partly good luck and timing, uh, <laughs> which, which always matters. And I think we ran good campaigns. You know, a, a big part of what we were looking to do was uh, engage people in in their local areas in and uh, winning victories. So, 
you know, we won thousands of local campus victories and, you know, winning is contagious, right? Like right. once people uh, see that and get a sense of their power, uh, that can be really beneficial in terms of drawing more people in. Um, it sort of snowballs. So, you know, the Campus Climate Challenge campaign, it was like we were looking at all sorts of different sort of first core campaigns to run as a movement and an organization. And, and we picked that one because it sort of had the, the most ability for people to dig their teeth into it, where they were, where they had power. You know, students actually have a lot of power over the decisions that colleges and universities make. And when they organize, they can win victories. So that's where we started. Super interesting. So at that point, though, you know, you, you have the Energy Action Coalition. You jump into the, the role of businessman. So what drove you to the financial side of the solar field? Well, there was one step in between, which was uh, uh, a couple of years focused on green jobs, um, where I saw all of the young people I'd been working with graduate without an opportunity to find employment in the kind of clean energy transition. And I uh, got really interested in that intersection, all these people who wanted work, all of this work that needed doing, how do you connect those things? So I led a national campaign to create a clean energy core, kind of modeled on the Civilian Conservation Corps during the Great Depression, a big public works program to employ people, train people uh, in the green economy. So I did that for a couple of years. And led a national campaign for that, and then ultimately was able to work with the Obama administration on the $80 billion green part of the Stimulus Act, uh, which had the Energy Efficiency and Conservation Block Grant Program, uh, and created a Clean Energy Service Corps, which expanded AmeriCorps to create these stipended job training opportunities for young people. And then that was the bridge to, uh, to starting Mosaic uh, with my founder partner, Dan Rosen, was ultimately realizing that businesses provide most of the goods and services that we enjoy, particularly, you know, in the energy space, and that if we wanted to transform that industry, that we needed to get involved, we needed to understand it. And at that point, the opportunity and the need we really saw in the in the industry was around financing commercial solar projects was one. And then we saw this sort of problem with people who didn't own their homes who wanted to participate in solar. So first iteration of Mosaic was uh, a crowdfunding platform for commercial solar projects where people could get together and fund solar projects in their communities. And it was a way to try to bring new financing into the kind of small scale solar space, which was you know, and, and actually still is to this day significantly kind of underbanked, underfinanced, and create a way for anybody to participate in clean energy and to do so profitably. We offered people uh, a return on their investment, typically in the 4 to 7% range. And that was really fun, but sort of federal regulations around crowd investing didn't come together in the way we hoped they would. So in 2014, we pivoted the business model to provide really the first tech-enabled lending solution into the residential solar market. Okay. And then you did this little, you know, tiny thing of being a pioneer in securitizing solar loans, you know, just a couple <laughs> hundred millions of dollars in loans. 
How'd you break down those walls? Uh, you know, it, you, you kind of ladder up, right? Our, our first loan partners were much higher cost. Um, but, you know, uh, it was a company called Partner Re. It was a reinsurance company that we first worked with. And we were the first to release a 20-year solar loan product into the market. There was a 20-year solar lease, but uh, 12-year loans were the longest duration loans, which in many states didn't work to uh, make solar a day one savings proposition for the customer. So stretching out that loan another eight years made it so that in, you know, at that point, probably 12 or 15 markets, people could save money day one switching to solar, which was a game changer. And then you pair that with uh, the first kind of streamlined, simple process uh, so that they can close a deal in, in one sitting was very powerful. Those were sort of both new things for uh, residential solar, which was really exciting. Uh, but give a lot of credit to our partners at Partner Re, who you know sat down with us and you know we looked at proxy data for what solar loan performance might look like on a 20-year solar loan. There wasn't hardly any solar loan data out there, and so we've just kind of laddered uh, to more and more cost-efficient funding over over the, you know, now five and a half years that we've been in the space. So we've done five securitizations, increasing uh, cost efficiency in each one. Uh, That's really important in the securitization markets to be a regular issuer uh, and to issue at scale. And then we recently announced a a direct origination program with SunTrust, which we're really excited about. They are in the process of merging with BB&T and will become the sixth largest bank in the country. And we have been working over the last, you know, period of time to stand up that program. And it's a, it's a really big deal to get, you know, big consumer banks in the U.S. involved in the space and, and funding loans on their balance sheet. Right. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard some interviews that you've done and you have a knack for making this sound so easy, but I know we all know that this is challenging. You put in a lot of hard work, you know, and on that note, what, what have been the big challenges with, uh, you know, these early stages of Mosaic? Oh, gosh. How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you know, as you know, uh, just uh, so many challenges starting any business from scratch, you know, from uh, building the right team and, you know, evolving that team as, as you grow and your needs and challenges and opportunities evolve, uh, you know, the challenges of raising funding to, uh, for the operations. Gosh, I mean, we, we talked to a lot of venture capitalists in the Bay Area before we were able to raise some capital. And, and fortunately, you know, we're able to continue to fund the business and grow and find product market fit and uh, and then raised a very large round a couple of years ago with Warburg Pincus. And then that has been a game changer in terms of how we work with the capital markets. You know, having the capitalization we have uh, and, you know, being profitable, 
they really matter to investors in solar loans. And, you know, think about where we were three years ago uh, to where we are today. It's been it's been a lot of work, but sort of a, a game changing profile as uh, a lender in the market, which has been really exciting. Billy, I have a question. Um, with Warburg coming in, um, I know when you have private equity come in, a lot of things change. Um, I know there's obviously a lot of positive, but I'd love to hear one positive thing about adding Warburg and then also a negative or one of the challenges that you faced with having Warburg come in. Hmm. Um, Hot seat. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. Let me think about that for a minute. And Billy, if you want to, we can come back to that. I have another question too. Is that? Yeah, no. L- let me let me take a crack at it. Um, you know, I, a, as in many things, the positive and the negative are sort of two sides of the same coin. Warburg brought a discipline on operations and credit and liquidity that serve us incredibly well right now and and will in the future. We were a scrappy West Coast fintech and want to be a long-term leader in this market and getting that discipline in early uh, and working it into our DNA has been really powerful. You know, that was not without its difficulties as well. I think there were periods where we made decisions coming from that place that hurt some of our partnerships and made us harder to work with than than I want us to be. And so, you know, there's been kind of managing uh, those issues. And uh, so I would say, that, you know, that's, that's the positive and the negative. And being a mission-oriented company, because this is one of the things that, um, you know, we're a privately held company. I really don't have an interest in going public. I get asked that question every month. And one of the reasons I do is I want to make sure that we maintain a mission focus in what we want to do. And sometimes when you're focused on return on investment, you can lose kind of that mission. Have you had any of those challenges um, as you've brought in private equity on those types of things? I feel as mission aligned as I've ever felt in my work. So uh, that's, that's one of the real blessings of the business that we're in, you know, Every day we're financing clean energy uh, and energy efficiency and helping move us to 100% clean energy for all. That's our vision. And, uh, you know, we have a greater impact every month and it's, it's really beautiful. So uh, I haven't had those issues. I, I, I know other folks who have, but um, so far so good. Awesome. And then um, one more question. Um, uh, in 2007, you were considered one of the sexiest men alive <laughs> by Salon Magazine. You're on a list with Matt Damon, Owen Wilson, Kanye West. My question to you is, who is your publicist or PR person? Because I need to hire them. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know how that happened. Uh, I'm now a dad of two uh, beautiful girls and a husband of a beautiful wife and uh, bald and uh, much older <laughs> today. So but you not still, that baldness. You uh, still have the amazing day. eyes, oh, Billy. The, the piercing <laughs> eyes. I've heard, I've heard the stories. Uh, I had a quick question. Um, you know, this, this topic has come up a few times um, 
in the industry. So will the, the future nurture the long tail of solar installers or the larger you know, national installers like Vivint, Sunrun, and us, Freedom Forever? Oh, I think there's opportunity for everyone. I mean, we're in the early innings of this industry. So, you know, we just hit the 2 million solar customers mark a couple months ago. And the Solar Energy Industries Association has set a goal that 20% of U.S. electricity is solar by the end of the next decade. So we will go from 2 million to something in the range of 14 million solar homes over the next 10 years. So it's just a massive opportunity. I think there are going to be large national companies that are winners. I think there are going to be local uh, and regional players all different types of business models. It's such a dynamic market. I think you need a good team and you need to execute like crazy and be flexible to see sort of where the opportunities in the market are. And I have a couple other follow-up questions on that is that, you know, one of the core ideas of freedom is that we really want to come in and make an impact and transform the industry And one of the things that has been surprising to me is obviously I know the industry is in its very embryonic state, as you said, but there is just a tremendous amount of uh, dysfunction in the industry. And I would love to know how, what was the genesis of that? I've only been in for four years. You have so many years of experience and I really don't understand it. I've been in other industries and invested in other industries, but I've never been around uh, such a group of underwhelming business professionals, all right, in this industry. It's a criticism of us, and there's only a handful of people. And when I wanted to interview somebody for the podcast, I was thinking, who's the one guy that I know is much smarter than me, and that's you. But I don't understand (laughs) why there's more people like yourself. This, in my opinion, is the greatest, greatest wealth creation opportunity of my lifetime and I don't see why we don't have more professionals that are like yourself in this business. Mm. It's interesting to think about who the industry has attracted over the years. I think it is coming from a place of really pure missionaries, right? I mean, solar was 10 plus dollars a watt not too long ago and it didn't make economic sense, but it made all the environmental sense in the world. So, you know, people who got that got involved and some of them came from business backgrounds and have built really great uh, businesses, many, you know, local businesses that are, you know, excellent installers and really understand their markets and, and do really good work. But it's only in the last, you know, couple of years that it's become a real smart business proposition in the U.S. Uh, and that's an exciting opportunity, and it's begun to attract, I think, some, some really smart, you know, business-oriented leaders. And, you know, when you can pair the two, you know, the uh, heart and the head, I think you can, that's the formula for, you know, great entrepreneurs and a lot of hard work. <laughs> so I'm bullish. I mean, uh, I think... Again, I think we're early days on this industry. And, you know, you look at Australia with 20% penetration of solar and homes and businesses, you know, we're at 2%. It's going to be a really exciting 
next decade with a lot of competition from hungry entrepreneurs who are, you know, trying to disrupt everybody's business model. We talk about it all the time is that we are trying to change it and disrupt the industry by doing it a better way. And uh, I hope that rubs off on other people. And you got you and Mosaic have really inspired me to really change and be an agent of change. Mm. So I do appreciate everything that you've done. What is mm, the likewise? What is the one thing that you have done that, that you're proudest? All right, to kind of overcome this dysfunction. What is the one thing that Billy Parrish and or Mosaic have done to really improve our industry? I would say it's the the, the combined innovation around point of sale uh, and the seamless ease of use, the simplicity, as well as the uh, affordability of solar. So uh, we've helped drive down the cost of capital by hundreds of basis points over the last couple of years and made solar much simpler for people to own. And, you know, as I think about where we are as an industry, We've come a long way, but solar is still way more expensive in the U.S. than it is in the other mature solar markets around the world. Average install costs here around 360 a watt, and most of Europe is in the you know 150, 160, 170 range. Australia, you know, in the buck 20 a watt range. India, other places, sub dollar a watt range. So we're, you know two, three, four times more expensive here on baseline. So the affordability is still a huge area of need and opportunity for the industry. And then the other is is the simplicity. I mean, in Australia, you sign up for solar, it's installed uh, in the next couple of days, it's generating electricity for your roof, you're seeing the benefits almost instantly. Uh, and in the U.S., as you know, it's a multi-month process. So uh, with lots of hoops to jump through for the contractors, for the customers, and uh, it's a big problem. And that's a big part of the, the higher cost in the U.S. I think that is the single biggest cost lever in residential solar today. So I have helped start something called the solar automated permitting process, which is looking to massively streamline the permitting interconnection processes around solar. And we think that, uh, and SIA, the solar industry now, has done analysis to suggest that there's a dollar a watt savings or $7,000 per residential system just in streamlining uh, the permitting inspection interconnection processes. So we're working in local areas, we're working across states, we're working on the solar code to to do this and i think that's gonna you know if we can if we can accomplish this that's worth the value of investment tax credit right seven thousand dollars a system that's the itc that we can take out of cost to make solar more affordable for for everyone uh, and simpler right i mean could you imagine in the u.s if you could sign up for solar and it's producing electricity for for you and benefit the next day it billy it is so frustrating because we know that we can do an installation in two to three days and it's a hurry up and wait and you have to create process but there's so much red tape here in the united states it's frustrating you've kind of identified a dollar a watt there which i agree with you a hundred percent what are other things in addition to that that get you down to that dollar seventy dollar eighty because 
when you start getting down to those prices, it's cost effective in all 50 states. Right That's now, right. there's only about 23 states where you have first year cost savings because of the high costs in the U.S. How do we drive it down and get more solar panels on roofs? Yeah. So the the big areas are two-thirds of the costs are in soft costs. So, you know, almost three of the, well, let me put that a different way. Yeah, two-thirds of the, two-thirds of the cost of residential solar in the U.S. are soft costs. So permitting, inspection, interconnection, engineering, and procurement, overhead, those I think are some of the big areas, right? I mean, we don't want, we want labor, we want labor rates to stay the same. We want income or profitability of the contractors to stay the same, but we can reduce some of the hours that people have to work on the systems through automation, streamlining in the permitting, inspection, interconnection process, in the uh, engineering and design, uh, and making leaner operations. All of those things then translate into lower customer acquisition costs. So one of the, the ways that the permitting and inspection and interconnection process kills the cost of solar is that there's 5 to 10% customer cancellation rate for each week of delay of the installation. So all of these things kind of add to other parts of the cost stack. So I think just the the solar app automated permitting process campaign can take that out, but it also impacts some of the other areas as well. There will be a little bit more in the hardware side of things. I don't think there's going to be dramatic uh, reductions there, but I think there's still a little more to come. I mean, I'm talking to folks in other markets who are, you know, getting panels much cheaper than here in the U.S. Part of that is the tariffs, uh, which are misguided and just adding cost, you know, as they are to all of the other things. You saw all these shoe companies send a letter recently to the Trump administration saying, you're adding cost. The consumers are paying for it. It's the same thing in solar. You put a tariff on and the, the American homeowner is paying that cost. So that's another way to reduce the cost of solar. It doesn't exist in a lot of other places. Preach to us, Billy. It's amazing. I love your insight. Um, solar plus storage. Um, one of the obviously negatives of solar is it only works during the day or when the sun is out. What is, you know, how do you see storage impacting the future of renewable energy? Oh, it's massive. It, the costs have come down a ton. They are continuing to come down very rapidly. And if you have solar and batteries, then you become a, a, an equal uh, on, then you get on the same level as utilities in terms of, being able to buy and sell electricity into the grid. And that's a paradigm shift for, uh, for the electricity markets where you can then aggregate that demand and sell it into markets, which then takes away a lot of the sort of existential risk that net metering policies have caused for the industry. You know, we continue to fight about that but as more and more customers get batteries, then 
you know, to the extent that utilities put more demand charges and other anti-solar policies into place, then people will defect from the grid and aggregate demand and sell in like an independent power producer. And that's really powerful. I think it, it sort of keeps the electricity markets honest in a way and creates a uh, significant new value streams for the customer to tap into. Amazing stuff, Billy. Um, another one, uh, Solar Rights Alliance. Um, yeah. I know your leadership has been very important from that standpoint, and we've gotten involved recently. But could you tell us a little bit more about uh, the Solar Rights Alliance? Yes, uh, I'm incredibly excited about the Solar Rights Alliance uh, and some of the uh, solar advocacy that's emerging in California is really amazing. Bernadette Del Caro from CALSA and Dave Rosenfeld from the Solar Rights Alliance, two really amazing organizers who are helping mobilize the very large numbers of solar customers and uh, uh, solar companies here in California. Uh, and Solar Rights Alliance is effectively a uh, an NRA for solar. It's a customer, solar customer advocacy organization that's mobilizing currently 25,000 solar customers in California. That's just the beginning and winning victories. You know, SMUD was looking to pass a demand charge, a sort of new fixed fee on solar in their territory. And the Solar Rights Alliance mobilized, reached out to a thousand solar customers in their territory who got engaged and uh, reached out to a variety of people uh, about this proposed charge and killed it. And, you know, we're going to see more and more people get involved in that. You think about, we go to from 2 million to 14 million solar homeowners in the U.S. over the next 10 years. And if you get, you know, some portion of them to join a an organization to protect their rights as solar customers, you can have an organization that's very large and influential and can help protect and expand solar policies on every level, at the local level, at the state level, and at a federal level. So uh, this is the best organizing model I've seen so far for solar customers, and I think it's one that's going to take off nationally. All right, PPA lease versus purchase, what's better and why? You know where I am on that one. Uh, I'm a believer in the solar loan as a great option for customers who, who have the ability to monetize the tax credit, right? That, that's going to be the best economic value proposition if you can monetize the tax credit uh, in most markets. Uh, if you can't, uh, then a solar lease or a PPA is a great option. If you're unsure about the technology or, you know, that would be another reason to maybe lease if you, you know, are concerned that it's going to continue to evolve. Uh, I don't, I don't have that concern. I think solar is a power plant that you put on your roof and, uh, the economics of it are great. And the sooner people get into it, the more, uh, the sooner they start saving. Uh, and and generating positive cash flow from that as an investment. And that's what the solar loan enables. And one of the things I'm always surprised is there was a study that Ben Hone did um, 
that was funded by the Department of Energy selling into the sun, talking about the increase in home values when you purchase solar. Um, you still haven't seen a lot of people using that. And why is that not top of mind to someone purchasing solar versus leasing or entering into a power purchase agreement? That's a really good point. And that is beginning to change. It, it was only recently that Fanny and Freddie coordinated with the realtors to come up with a standard way to assess the value of solar uh, on, on your home. So it used to be that while in many cases it did add value, people weren't sure it would or didn't have a good sense of how much it would. So that's just come into play. So I, I do think that will become a stronger and stronger selling point for solar ownership over time. I mean, ultimately, if you're paying $30,000 for something that's going to generate, you know, at least two, if not three times that value in electricity over the next couple decades, you know, that's value that accrues to the home if you price it right. So uh, it's pretty powerful. You don't get that same benefit in most cases if you're leasing. Agreed 100%. Um, favorite print story? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell um, us about that. So, um, yeah, you know, at the very early days of Mosaic, we were trying to figure out where to do our first projects uh, and uh, weren't having a lot of success. We're, um, you know, a couple, a couple crowdfunded projects that where we had a site that we were working with and just weren't able to sort of get the deal done. And my co-founder and I were trying to figure out, you know, where to, where to go next. And I got a call from my friend Van Jones, who is a CNN uh, correspondent. Now I think the smartest political uh, commentator in the country. And he was close friends with Prince and he, he called me and he, he said, uh, I just got off the phone with Prince and he wants to put a quarter million dollars towards green job stuff in Oakland. And I thought maybe we'd do something with you. Van had started an organization called the Ella Baker Center, which worked in Oakland on green jobs and other uh, criminal justice, other local issues. And we put together our first projects were matched $250,000 of grant funded uh, money from from Prince with $250,000 of crowdfunded money to put solar on four amazing local community centers in Oakland, uh, which is how we got our start. And uh, it's, yeah, it's a, I never met the man. So that's definitely a regret in this journey. Still such a great story though. And, uh, and I think with that, <laughs> that's our time. I think it's a good note to end on there. Yeah. And Billy, I just want to just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart is that I mm. have never been so fulfilled being in any industry and in any investment that I've ever made. And if it wasn't for people like yourself that saw the light way before I did, um, I wouldn't have that opportunity. So I'm blessed mm. and thankful to know you and to be a part of this journey with Mosaic. You guys have been an amazing partner with us, but I personally thank you for having the vision and really making an impact because there is so many more 
um, solar panels on roof, and you've actually made an impact on climate change. And I know that was one of your goals. I know sometimes <clears throat> you don't hear that all the time, but you're amazing. Um, and I'm <clears throat> so thankful to know you and to work with you. Feelings mutual. And I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to it. Billy, thanks so much for joining us. And for more information on Billy and Mosaic, please head over to jointhemosaic.com. And if you want more information on the Solar Rights Alliance, you can head over to solarrights.org. For anything you need to know about Freedom Forever and the Solar Disruption Theory podcast, visit solardisruptiontheory.com or freedomforever.com. Also, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and help us share this podcast with the rest of the world. On behalf of Brett, Billy, and myself, thanks so much for listening to the Solar Disruption Theory podcast, and we'll see you soon. Solar Disruption Theory is presented by Freedom Forever. For the latest news and updates in the solar industry, subscribe to our newsletter at freedomforever.com. Also check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Freedom Forever Solar. Freedom now. Freedom tomorrow. Freedom forever. Madden and Mitchell Media.